0: Oh, hallelujah. He watches over us. Lord, thank you for your sovereignty, your power, your grace, your tremendous love. That you are a present help in a time of trouble. A friend who sticks closer than any brother. Oh, you are concerned about our every day of life. We thank you that you watch over us. Lord, we open up our hearts right now to receive a word from you. Speak to us, Lord, your servants, that we might see the fruit in our lives from our obedience to your holy word, we pray. Amen. Amen. Oh glory be to God, it's so good to be in the house of the Lord and to be with our brothers and sisters in Christ and to celebrate the goodness of the Lord. Isn't it good just to celebrate what God has done? Just to look back in the past and say, he's shown up been good to me. In the midst of trials and tribulations, in the midst of storms, in the midst of troubles, in the midst of troubled waters, in the midst of difficulty, we can still look back and say, he's been good to me. And so when we think about that, We think about how he's delivered us because one reason why he's been good to us is that he has delivered us. He has rescued us. He has saved us. Let's use some more theological terms and and say, say he has redeemed us. He has purchased us. He ransomed us. He is our propitiation. He is the perfect sacrifice. All of this goes to a symbol in a place of time that will point us back to the cross. That when we look at the cross, we should look and see and be reminded of Jesus, the only begotten son of God who bled and died to set us free. Can we not just look back and just say God's been good to us? And and the reason why I, I want us to look back and see how he's been good to us. So when we look at this text, we can look from that same perspective of the people of Israel. Because when we look at this text found in Haggai second chapter, looking at the latter part of this chapter, verses 20 to 23. They are standing in the present, reminded of their past, but God has pointed them forward to their future. And one thing I want us to do in looking back is not get caught up in the past, but look at it. If he brought me back from there, he can take me somewhere further. Because I want us to look and see how God is our deliverer. And that when he delivers us, it's not a one-time thing, but it's an ongoing thing. And the reason why it's an ongoing thing, this truth I want you to grab into is this, that we are all anticipating and waiting for the second coming, the second advent of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because when he comes and all our troubles will be over, all our pain will, will disappear, and there'll be no more death, but we will understand life that he has promised us and will forever be in his kingdom, in a new heaven and in a new earth, everything that old will pass away. And so if that's what we're hoping for, this hope, this anticipation, bursts in us even stronger anticipation when we look back in the past and see what he's brought us from. Because we'll see in comparison that, wow, the latter will be greater. Join me, Haggai, second chapter, looking at verses 20 to 23. I'm going to read from the New Living uh, translation. Those who are able to stand in honor and read God's word, if please uh, do so. Also, uh, those who want to be able to find out a lot of, quicker in this text, you can use the you Bible Version app and search for the live events. Uh, you'll see God's Deliverers Zion Baptist Church, and it'll take you right there to that text, right there, as well as some sermon notes for you to add on for uh, yourself. Haggai, uh, second chapter, New Living Translation, starting at verse 20, it says, On that same day, December 18th, the Lord sent this second message to Haggai. Tell Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, that I am about to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow royal thrones and destroy the power of foreign kingdoms. I will overturn their chariots and riders. The horses will fail and the riders will kill each other. But when this happens, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will honor you, Zerubbabel, son of Silatil, my servant. I will make you like a signet ring on my finger, says the Lord, for I have chosen you, I, The Lord of heaven's armies have spoken. Praise God for his word. Dealing with God's deliverance. Here we of deliverance, think about it. That when God saves us, when God has rescued us, what has he rescued us from? What has he rescued you from? What are you saved from? When you when you think about being saved and what salvation is, what are you saved from? Think about that for a moment. Meditate on that for a moment. What are you saved from? From When when you hear somebody maybe giving a testimony and say, I'm so glad I'm saved, then it might come to maybe you a question to ask, why are you so glad you're saved? And then that person might be able to further expound and say, well, I'm so glad I'm saved that I don't have to fear death. Why don't you have to fear death? Well, because he's promised me life eternally. But death is going to come. Yes, death is going to come, but I won't know death. Oh, glory be to God. Y'all catch that. Because death will come, but we don't have to know. We won't have to be familiar because we will be introduced to life. He says, I am the life and the resurrection. Those who believe in me, though they may die, yet they shall live. Paul says, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. We want to know him and his power. We want to know what it means to be delivered from death, delivered from the bondage of sin. And so, what does it have to do with this text? I'm glad you're asking this question. Let's look at this text. Look at the text. Look at the text. Who was he speaking to? In the past, in the same book, he spoke to the governor, Zerubbabel. He's spoken to Jeshua, the high priest. He's spoken to the remnant. Then, in the latter part of, of, of I'm sorry, the... The latter part of the same book earlier in second chapter he spoke then what to the priest hey ask the priest this question now on the same day he asked the priest this question appoint to them what it means to be holy and how on this day i will bless you because you decided to make my temple holy by doing what i've asked you to do he has another message to who Zerubbabel he's the governor why is he so special? Well, if you do some history, go look in Matthew uh, say that first chapter, go down to chapter uh, uh, of the first chapter, go down to verse eleven and, and to verse thirteen, you see how those who were kings and those after the exile who come back you're going to find that the last king, Johikim or Kohen, the, the one who was no good evil, God says, "I don't like you, I'm going to reject you, you're going to suffer." He didn't have that much time to reign. He had three months to reign, then he went to prison, and then Nebuchadnezzar made his uncle the king and have him come back to rule over farmers and sheep herders. And yet out of that lineage came Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel, he, he comes in the lineage of David. So why is this important? Why? Because they are left without a king. God tells them in Jeremiah 23rd chapter, you'll see it right there, that no longer Jehoiakim, I will accept you. I will take you off like a signet ring and disown you. What does this got to do with deliverance? Catch all what I'm saying with you. You do not hear the word signet ring. Do you not see that there in the text? Do you not understand the theological definition of the Davidic line? How God told David, your line will reign forever. But now there's no king on the throne. They don't even have a king. They have a governor. Who they give permission to rule. He's a governor. But yet God told, if you look in Jeremiah, that 20th chapter and in verses 23, you see that he says that there be no seed from you, Jehoiakim. there be no seed from you ever again on the throne. That is true. <laughs> he had children, but his children never got to be king because of his wickedness. They go into captivity they're going to bondage, they go into slavery, they're going to oppression under foreign kings, going into a foreign land that they have not known, and that God has not promised to them, but because of their disobedience, they go there, but here we stand now. God has delivered them. Y'all see that there, right? Now we stand here. He has brought them back into the promised land. He's ready to bless them better now than he's had in the past. He says, On this day I will bless you. You have a greater harvest. Things are going to get brighter. Now I got a special message for Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, why do I have a special message for you? Because you, I have chosen. Y'all see that there in the text. I have chosen you, and you are like a signet ring to me. Oh glory! I I took off your great grandfather, and I acted like I did not care about him because he did not care about me. He was evil and he was wicked. But I have chosen you. To see this in this context. The people of Israel understand what it means to be chosen. And so when they read this, they understand this is a Messiah information here a chosen one, the anointed one, coming now. Zerubbabel is using as a prototype, as a type of the Davidic line, as a person, not to him specifically, but of the lineage of David. Oftentimes they'll refer to the Davidic line, but here they refer to Zerubbabel because he's representing to the people that God has not forgotten them in this lineage. I am using him as a vessel, and through him, blessings going to flow. But look at here, he says that. Once again, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. This points to us in God's deliverance. His deliverance comes in His presence. His presence demands this impact. His presence here again is pointing to the end that when He comes, the earth is going to shake, the waters are going to move in His presence. And when he comes, it's going to be a violent, upshaking and roaring. And some scholars suggest because God already told him earlier that he's going to shake the heavens and the earth, right? And his glory is going to be on the temple. They're saying, well, what's going to happen to us? God's kingdom is unshakable. It shall not be moved. And so God's pointing out that when I come, yes, the earth and everything is going to shake. But those things are going to shake what I'm about to disrupt. I'm going to overthrow every what? Kingdom, every throne, every power. What happens again, what I'm pointing to is, when we come into God's presence, things shake and things move. Things are forced to respond. Do you understand here? Look at this closely here. That when they show up and they tremble and they shake, I can see everybody thinking about, okay, God, what about us? Is God let them know. Don't worry about you. I got you. But everybody that's against you, I will overthrow what does it mean that God's deliverance? God's deliverance means this, that things can shake, but he can keep you still. <laughs> and things can come against you, but he can overturn them. <laughs> I heard someone say like this, that just as God, check this out, just as God is for us, pushing for us and fighting for us, he could do the same against those who try to come against us. He could defeat them. In most athletic games, right, there's an office and there's a defense. You understand, God can play office and he can play defense. And if God doesn't want anybody to score, they're not going to score. If he wants to p- pitch a perfect game, he'll pitch a perfect game. He wants to play a shutout, he'll play a shutout. Our God is that capable of doing it. He's letting them know, I've permitted them to do this to you in the past, but now when I show up, All that was against you will stumble and fall. What's God's deliverance? God's deliverance is this. The things that have been bothering you, the things that have been troubling you, the things that have you oppressed, depressed, and locked down, he says, I can release that from you. So think about your life, your deliverance. What have you been saved from? What have you been delivered from? And when you look at it and think of this, that, why wow, I've been saved from being under the bondage of sin. Here's the problem that we might not understand about the bondage of sin. Because some of us are sitting and looking at me and you might be feeling, well, I've been saved all my life, so I don't know what sin is anymore. Okay. But some of us who are, who are real and have struggles in our lives, we know, say, Lord, speak to me. How can I continue to walk in liberty and, and walk in forgiveness and walk in mercy? Because I'm not as holy as these people I'm sitting next to. The Bible reminds us that in Romans 1st chapter, he says he gave them over to a reprobate mind. And, 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 and they are the people who knew God but acted like they did not know him. Mm, mm. And, and what happened is that their sin got so good to them, they forgot it was sin. And it says they enjoyed doing what they were doing and God let them do it, though it was killing them. This is what arrested me, this is what arrested me, that God did not save them from the bondage of sin, but he allowed them to stay in sin, killing themselves, and they enjoyed doing it, not knowing that they were really never happy. What does that mean to me? That means to us, this, that. God has saved us from having a messed up mind. Of doing the same old stuff over and over again. Thinking that we are happy, but only killing ourselves. Has anybody ever had that aha moment when you woke up realizing that you were doing something wrong? And once you figured out how to do it right, it went easier than you thought it was going to go. Rather than what? You might have been putting something together and you found out, oh, this is where it goes. And then once you put it in the right spot, everything else started fitting together. God is trying to wake us up by pointing to us that I am here to deliver you. I am here to save you. I will keep my covenant. I will keep my promise to those who obey me. Do you understand that in our covenant relationship with God, we have a responsibility. Because somebody say responsibility? And so sometimes we get caught up that we put everything on God that we take no responsibility. But I want you to understand this, that yes, he took a good percentage of all the work. But yeah, you have one job. Is let him be God. <laughs> Isn't that easy? Take that shit out. You let a pilot be a pilot on a plane. You don't go up to the pilot and say, I think we should take off now, pilot. Try to get up into that cockpit and they're going to take you off that plane. And you're going to end up being somewhere else you don't want to be. And since you understand that, you leave the pilot alone. You walk on it. How you doing, sir? Let me find my seat. But when it comes to God, we will to stop by. Okay, God, I think we need to stop by here. I think we need to do this. God, don't you think this would be nice? And God is looking at you and letting you understand this, that do you not understand? I know the plans I have for you. While you were still in your mother's womb knitting together, I've already worked out your whole life plan. Do you understand how the Hebrew writer wrote, I am the author and the finisher of your faith, which means I know the beginning and the ending, and you got the nerve, you want to tell me what's on chapter 2? So how is it that we can trust a pilot with our life, but we can't trust the almighty creator of our life with our life? And so God is pointing to them, letting them know, they say, look here, I know I've called you back to rebuild my temple. Get your priorities in order. Once you got your priorities in order, you understood how to worship me and to fear me. And you realize that you need to fix this temple so you can properly worship me. And since you got all this stuff in order now, you've been worried about how you're going to get a good harvest. You were worried about how you're going to make it. Don't worry about that. Now that you're working on my temple, now that you got your priorities in order, I'm going to bless you with a greater harvest, I'm going to bless you with greater times that's going to come. Just trust in me. Behold, I won't just stop there materially, but let me. So, I'm going to bless you spiritually, I'm going to deliver you from all your enemies. So, what's your enemy? Let's get real here. Is it your tongue? Your tongue can be your enemy in many ways that you just can't stop gossiping. You have more negative things to say about somebody's life than good things. And since you got this great information of knowledge, you want to tell everybody else. I can't waste what I know. i got to go tell everybody. Do you know about so-and-so? Yeah, they're not doing so good. I don't know how long it's going to last. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how they act like this. Man, they should get their life in order. They should be better than that. I just don't understand them, right? And, we, and, and that person's talking from such a place of authority because they wrote so many books and they have so many scholars and they have so, such a great education that everything they say is so true because they know so much more. Or maybe your tongue is that you just can't help but tell a lie. You you can't tell the truth. You can't, You got to tell a lie. You got to exaggerate a little bit. You know. or oh, my car's a little bit faster. <laughs> Or my house is a little bit big. You always want to stress things out because you got to be better than somebody else. Or maybe it's your eyes. Maybe your eyes are prone to wonder and look at things you shouldn't be looking at. And then as your eyes start prone to wonder, looking at things that should not be looking at, then your brain starts to wonder, how can you accomplish these things? And then once your the brain starts to accomplish things, what happens? Your heart starts having issues. Your heart does not know what to cleave to, what to hold on to. And now you got a bigger mess than you started out when it all just started with your eyes. Now you got to figure out how you're going to keep this relationship together. Now you to feel will like, well, i lose my job. Now you're to feel like, well, i lose my children. All because we had no control over our eyes. Or maybe it's just an issue of greed. That we want so much more. We spend so much more. Which is why we're in so much more debt. We just can't say no. we got to say yes to everything. And the more you spend, the more in debt you get, and the more things you try to do to get out of debt, and the more depressed you get because you're never getting out. These are the things that bondage us and enslave us. So how can this help me? Well, let me help you out. The Bible tells, like Job tells, he says, I made a cover of my eyes not to look lustfully to a young woman. Put that in your memory verse. The Bible tells us to love your neighbor as you love yourself. That might help your tongue talking bad about somebody else because you love them as you love yourself. You don't talk bad about yourself. i, I like to see somebody wake up in the morning and go around and say to everybody, Oh, my hair is not good today. I feel bad today. Oh, I'm so out of shape today. But you'll say that about everybody else. But you don't go around talking bad about yourself. So we should learn how to love one another, take care of one another. All oh, the Bible tells us for the love of money is the root of all evil. So maybe you might realize that maybe I don't need to love money, but I need to love the Lord more. And when I love the Lord more, I want to serve him more, not serve how I can get more money. Or you might run into remind yourself that seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he'll add all these other things unto you to find out that okay god i'm gonna trust you and you to provide everything that i need or maybe you might come to reminding of realizing that the, the the rich ruler was doing something young rich ruler came to jesus and he told jesus told him to sell everything and follow after him peter and them got caught up and said lord what about us we're not rich what about us uh, we left everything to fall he says great is your reward in heaven and here Don't get caught up trying to get more stuff here on earth when it's going to get thrown away. Why are we trying to collect garbage? When God has something greater for us. So we need to make room for that. And so when we put it in proper perspective, seeing what he's delivered, us, he's delivered us from the bondage of sin. Ephesians 6 and 10 tells us what? In the power of God's might, put on the whole armor of God. And in, in 2 Corinthians, it tells us how we should take any thought captive and bring it into obedience unto the subjection of Christ. I want us to understand here that God, through his Holy Spirit, has given us power to defeat The oppression of the enemy. He is pointing out, even in the times of when he comes, it's going to be the final destruction of everything that's against. Because you look there closely, it says he's going to overturn the throne. And some suggest that the singular throne he's pointing out to, how he's going to overturn the enemy, the prince of the air, better known as the devil, Bizzabah, Slewfoot, Satan, whatever you want to call him. And he is going to be defeated. And you understand that when he's defeated, he's he's going to where? Into hell. I like it in the Revelation, says that they throw death and him in there in the final abyss. Oh, glory be to God. He's already defeated. He's just trying to take everybody he can with him. But God has already declared that I will overturn every opposition. So God's deliverance means this that he's able to save you from whatever is troubling. And now, sometimes we don't have such major issues, and we say major issues, things that, you know, is newsworthy. But I want to say that he wants to save you just to have a peace when you walk in your house. He wants you to be able to have peace just when you walk into your job. He wants you to have peace just when you're walking around your neighborhood. Our God is that kind of a God that he's concerned about every aspect of our life, that he wants to give you peace. We know sin's all around, but yeah, you know God is all around, too. We know the enemy is busy, but God is real. And so if God is for us, who can be against us? So you see this truth here, that in his presence, everything will move. And shake and tremble before him, but yet God is saying, "But my people, I will will secure you. But I'm, I'm going to what? Overthrow the thrones and the kingdoms. I'll overthrow the I'll overthrow the royal thrones and destroy the power of foreign kingdoms. I'll overturn their chariots and riders. The horses will fall and their riders will kill each other. And when he reads this, some of them might be reflect, might reflect and think about Gideon. You understand when Gideon fought that they killed each other. And then also they hear this, the story from Moses when he's saying he sings how God overturned their chariots in the water. They, they know that story. And so when they hear this, they, they're reminded of God's past deliverance. And so some of us need to remind ourselves of God's past deliverance so we know that he can deliver us now and he can do the same in the future. And so when we look to the future, this is where we get to verse 23 his chosen vessel. When this happens, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will honor you. Zerubbabel, son of Shilatel, my servant, I will make you like a signal ring on my finger, says the Lord. For I have chosen you. I, the Lord's Heaven's armies, have spoken. I want to close with this last part for us to to look at How he brings to a conclusion in this great prophecy. One, he points out to them that I am God. In this whole text, he points to them, I am God. He points out that you should worship me and worship me alone. He points to them that they should have their priorities in order. And the reason why things are not working out in their life, hello, somebody, is because you have not put me first. And once you put me first, then I will bless you as you've been looking for. But these blessings are not going to come until you put me first. That's what God expresses to them. And once they understood and received his word, it says they obeyed him and they feared him and they began to do the work. And when they began to do the work, he lets them know now that you're getting this going, I want you to look at this foundation. I want you to know I'm going to visit this place. And once again, my presence will be here. Once again, you'll have joy in Jerusalem but also you'll have peace because I will destroy everything around you. Tell them point things to the future things with great hope and great expectation and then he says to them that because you were unholy in the past things were not presentable but now that you're getting it right things will be presentable but hold up let me not stop there because you've been waiting on your king to come and overthrow every trouble every problem in your life now I got to speak to Zerubbabel, says you are my signet ring. You are my chosen one. Listen to these words here. Chosen one. Jesus tells his disciples. I love that part of his disciples. He says, I chose you. There's something great about being chosen. Whenever I read that text, I think about how when you play games in gym and you play games on the playground and you had to choose, nobody wanted to be chosen last. You didn't mind being chosen first. You didn't mind being chosen second or last, but the last one was chosen was not a choice at all. It was by default. You had to join my team because nobody else picked you. That's what it means. When they didn't choose you, that means, oh, man, we got it. Come on. That's what they say. They don't choose you. They say, come on. But God did not say, come on. He says, I chose you. I called you out. How we know he called? I know your name. I am the shepherd. I am the good shepherd. My sheep know my voice and I know them. God is showing that I showed Zerubbabel When he chose Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel is representing the line of Jesus. And Jesus is God's signet ring. How is his signet ring? Here's something very important. I want you something. Grab this. Many of us understand a wedding ring. When you wear a wedding ring, it represents that you are married. It does not say you're married. It represents that you're married. And many, many, many of us understand that you won't be caught dead without your ring when you're with your spouse. The reason why? Because they check. <laughs> May hold your hand and say, why, why you don't have your ring on? I was working on the car, uh, you know. Uh. <laughs> They're going to check. Because it represents how much you love them, you honor them, you cherish them. It represents something. But now a signal ring, let me hope this up to a higher level. The signal ring represents this. It represents the identity of the king and it represents authority and it represents power. That's why when Daniel was in the lions then they said, put your sign on it, put your sign on it means that nobody can overturn this rule. When Jesus was in the tomb, they went to Caesar, put your sign on it, put your sign on it, so nobody will go against it. It represents authority and power and the identity. Sometimes when they gave the sign on the people say, this means you come in my authority and my power, but very rarely were they caught without it. They either had it as a cord around their neck or a ring, on the finger so everybody knew who was in charge i want you to grab here god said you will be my signet ring and who is the signet ring who is a sign of his authority who is a sign of his personal it is jesus and he chose jesus his servant then isaiah said his servant right his servant that came the suffering servant and this servant come and check this out. When the servant shows up, when the servant shows up, things start changing. And, and so the servant says he's chosen you to be the ruler, to rule over us, to watch over us, to take care of us. Why? Because everything has been overturned. Everything has been thrown. Ephesians tells us that he is exalted. He's the head of the church. And yet he is everything's under subjection under him. Ephesians first chapter verses twenty and twenty three says this: Which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fall who fills all in. And so what it's saying is that when he made Christ, his signal ring represents his authority, represents his power, and it represents to us our deliverance. When we say Jesus, it means something special to us. That's why we get excited at the name of Jesus. Because at the name of Jesus, you can be saved. All who call the name of the Lord shall be saved. At the name of Jesus, healing starts taking place. And and at Hampton's Minister's Conference, uh, Pastor Otis Moss III said this, that uh, a, a duke did a study on the name of Jesus. And it says that when people would just say the name of Jesus, endorphins started releasing in their body, boosting their immune system. So people were just getting healthy just saying the name of Jesus. Just saying the name of Jesus. But yet we know that when we call on Jesus, we can look back into some good biblical history and think about Peter. Anybody remember Peter? Remember when Peter was on the boat and they were all scared. They thought there's all ghosts. Out there passing them on the water. They, Jesus says, I'm not a ghost, I am here. He said, Well, Jesus, if it's you, Say had a little bit of doubt. Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come on out there to the water. Come. All right, here I come. Now he started walking on water. He's a bad man. Ah, Jesus, you out there on the water. I'm out here on the water. Storm, they back there on the storm on the boat, but I'm out here with you on the water. Then he starts seeing the winds and seeing the winds, y'all. Seeing the wind. See the wind. He started seeing stuff, y'all. He was out in a place he's never been before. He started seeing stuff he'd never seen before. And he starts falling down. We don't know how far he fell, but we know he started falling in the water. But check this out. We don't know how close he got to Jesus, but we do know this. He says, Lord, help me. And all of a sudden, he was helped. When you call on Jesus, the help you need will show up at the right time. Remember the woman that issued the blood, right? If I can just touch the hem of his garment. Not just anybody's garment, but his garment. He is representing Jesus. Check this out again. Look at this whole symbolism here. Jesus and his presence around him was holiness and power. She understood that if I could just get next to him. Ooh. Peter said if I can get next to him too because they were scared on the boat. But if I get next to him, I'm not going to be scared anymore. So y'all catch that our signal ring, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we just come into his presence. Ooh, the atmosphere changes. And when the atmosphere changes, our life changes. And we start seeing things we never seen before. And start experiencing things we never experienced before. Because we're in the presence of his power and we are built for his purpose. God's deliverance. God's deliverance is from you to be saved from a life of monotony. We've been living in this world satisfied with mediocre, and, and, the, and the sad thing with mediocrity is this. You're the best of the worst. That's what it means to be mediocre. It doesn't mean you're good. It means you're better than the worst. So we go around bragging, I'm the best of the worst. I've made it. I, I've arrived because I'm not as bad as them. But God says, I've created you for great things. How do I know He's created for great things? He says, I am the Master and I created you for good works. I predestined, I preordained them for you to do. We know this in Genesis when He made man. He says, Everything I made was good. So you're made for good works. And so what God has called you to do, He's delivered you from the bondage of sin, the bondage of depression, oppression feel like you're never good enough, feel like you can never make it, to understand this, that I've seen where you are and I can take you to a place you've never been before. So do you grab how this means to us? How when they were looking at this text, they were waiting and anticipating the imminence of Christ, for Christ to come back. And we, too, are standing in the same place as them, waiting. We don't know the time. We don't know the day. We don't know the hour. But we hope that it is near. Even Paul, he got excited. When he was riding a car, he said, Maranatha. Like, Lord, come quickly. <laughs> he wants him to come. He wants him to come. Anybody here wants him to come? Because when he comes, all our troubles will be over. All our things will be over. No more pain. No more suffering. We will be able to be with him forever and ever so the challenge is while we're here can we tell other people about the deliverance of the Lord and let them know you too can be saved you too can have peace in the midst of this wretched world in the middle of the darkness of this world you can know that there is a light and he's coming back for us he's coming back for us he's coming back for us let's pray Father we thank you that you have chosen us and that we are precious in your sight. That you have brought through 42 generations, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty of death on the cross for our sins. And he defeated death by rising from the grave on that third day. And we place our faith in him. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. And Lord, I pray right now that someone today that says they want to trust in the Lord, Lord, we thank you that you see them right where they are. And we thank you, Lord, as they confess with their mouth and believe in their heart, they shall be saved. And we thank you for the victory you have in you, O oh God. We thank you, Lord, that we are saved. Father, Lord, I pray right now you will minister to us that we will never, never, never forget what you brought us from. And that we continue to serve you, O oh God, and love you and, and be the disciples of Christ you've called us to be by how we love one another. And that we show your grace and your mercy in everything that we say and that we do. Help us, Lord, right now to, re- to repent and change of our selfish and our fleshly ways. But now we want to truly walk by your spirit, be guided by you, as you will keep us and you will direct us, we pray. Amen.